You're listening to sermons from South Point Fellowship, where we are equipping the family of God for the mission of God, to see everyone around us transformed by the gospel of Jesus. For more information, please visit southpointfellowship.org. Psalms. Last week we looked at Psalm 113 and we tried to uh, establish a baseline for a reason for why it is healthy and good for us to um, look into the Psalms. This morning we're in Psalm chapter 2 and before we dig into the text and try to see what God's Word has to say for us this morning, um, let me just offer a few thoughts relative to its context. Psalm 2 probably originally was Psalm 1. In other words, Psalm 1 and 2 were written together. Uh, You say, why would you say that? Psalm chapter 1 and verse 1 begins with the theme of those who are blessed. Blessed is the man that walks not in the counsel of the ungodly. And Psalm chapter 2 verse 12 ends with the same sense of blessedness. Blessed are all those who find a refuge in him. It's believed that um, even Psalm 1, but... Psalm 2 is a messianic psalm. It's a psalm about the Messiah. The Jews believed that Psalm 2 was about the Messiah. We would say that Psalm 1 and 2 are about Jesus. Some may disagree. Some would say that the man in Psalm 1, blessed is the man who walks not in the counsel of the wicked nor stands in the way of sinners, is none other than Jesus Christ himself. But then when you come to the wicked and then you see their opposition to God in chapter 2, he goes right back into Christ as the solution to the problem of man's anger and rage. Last week we saw that the Psalms address the issues of human emotion. And a lot of times we view people that are emotional as weak. That's our culture. You gotta, you gotta suck it up. You gotta be a man. You, you know, we heard all of those things and we think all of those things. And we quite frankly view emotional people as weaker people. And I don't think that's accurate at all. In fact, emotion is the energy, the the the, the way that our relationships are communicated and experienced effectively. Okay, so don't discount emotion. Every one of us is emotional. You say, well, no, he's just the quiet, silent, unemotional type. Usually some of the strongest emotion that we ever experience is in silence because something's churning on the inside that we're scared to let out. But don't discount that the psalmist is dealing with emotion. And as we look at Psalm 2, and it was written centuries ago, Psalm 2 addresses one of the predominant human emotions throughout human history, throughout human existence. Psalm 2 addresses the issue of rage, of anger, of violent anger. Um, I was thinking about coming to church this morning, and I, I have to tell you that uh, sometimes I've got PTSD. Um, uh, Certainly, I I struggle with anger inside my own heart. God bless you if you don't. But in church, a lot of times we go and we have this expectation of relationship because the Spirit fills us, but we don't always experience that. Um. And a lot of times what we experience even in church, even in the body of Christ, even among Christians is this sense of relational violence. And so I I was studying the text and I'm just like, what in the world is 
churning on the inside of me. And it's, it's quite frankly, it's a fear of relational violence. It's a fear of exchanges of rage. And it's not so, it, it is that I don't want to feel like people are angry at me. But I also don't want to feel angry at anybody else. I don't want to feel the energy of someone else's rage. But I don't know about you, but when somebody comes at me with rage, guess what? I don't want to just say, God bless you, I love you. Oh, thank you for being so outrageous. No, I want to come back with rage, and that scares me. And so as we think about this text, I want you to think about rage for a minute and understand that in the text what he's going to be doing is he's going to be addressing rage nationally. He's going to be addressing rage historically. He's going to be addressing the rage of the nations. He's going to be addressing rage on a, on a worldwide basis but he's also addressing rage personally. It's clear in the text. The question you need to think about is not how can I hide my rage, right? It's not if my circumstances would change, my rage would go away. The thing that you need to deal with this morning is why is there rage that is inside of me? James tells us, where, where, where are these wars? Where is this violence? Where is this conflict? Where is it coming from? Well, it's coming from my wife. That's not what he said. It's coming from my boss. That's not what he said. It's coming from within me. It's coming from inside of me. What are you doing with the rage that's within you? Let's look at the text. Why? Why? He's asking a question. Why do the nations rage and the people plot in vain? The kings of the earth. Notice the, the, the list, the layers of people. The kings of the earth. Now, the nations are raging. He goes from the nations to the, the world, the whole, the whole existence of civilization that's filled with rage to the individual. Why do the nations rage and the people plot in vain? The kings of the earth set themselves and the rulers take counsel together against the Lord and against his anointed, saying, let us burst their bonds apart and cast their cords from us. Verse 4, he who sits in the heavens. So he's, he's asking this question of the nations, and the nations are raging. But then beginning in verse 4, down through verse number 9, the Lord is responding. He who sits in the heavens laughs. The Lord holds them in derision. Then he will speak to them in his wrath and terrify them in his fury, saying, As for me, I have set my king on Zion, my holy hill. I want you to make a distinction here between the nations that are raging and the Lord that is above everything. He is high above everything. He is high above the nations. He is high above the kings. He's high above all of the political processes. He's high above all of the rage that is being blamed on the differing amounts or levels of colors of pigment and people's skin. He's higher than all of that. He's sitting above it. He's silent, and then he speaks. Then he will speak to them in his wrath and terrify them in his fury, saying, As for me, I have set my king on Zion, my holy hill. All of these nations, all of these rulers, all of these kings, all of these 
presidents are ruling and they're conspiring and they're getting together and they're making decisions and they're trying to decide on an organizational level how they can kick God out, how they can live without God, how they can break free from God and His law and His word. And the Father who's above everything says, um, by the way, I'm sending one final king that's going to be over all of you. And Philippians 2 tells us every knee will bow and every tongue will confess that Jesus Christ is King of kings and Lord of lords to the glory of God the Father. There is a king that has already been assigned as king of the world. Verse 7, I will tell of the decree. This is something that is an official document that has been written that is irrefutable, that can't be that can't be thwarted, that can't be overturned. Here is God making a decree or the son speaking. The Lord said to me, you are my son. He said that at the baptism of Jesus. He said it at the transfiguration of Jesus. He is uh, repeating it here or it's been repeated based on what's being said here. Today I have begotten you. Ask of me and I will make the nations your heritage and the ends of the earth your possession. You shall break them with the rod of iron and dash them in pieces like potter's vessel. So the father, the father responds. The nations rage. The father responds. And the third thing that we see is that the refuge is open. Listen to listen to listen to our Savior pleading with the nations. Listen to God's word pleading in grace to the nations. God has every right to crush every single one of us right now in our sin. But he is so gracious and so kind. The one that the nations have conspired against, the one that the nations have organized, organized themselves against to say, God, we want you to leave us alone. The, the one that the world is raging against. Listen to his grace. Listen to his mercy. Listen to him calling out to you this morning. I remember we used to preach messages when we had invitations and at the end, I remember sitting in church as a child, earnestly, tenderly, Jesus is calling. Calling for you and for me. Come home, come home. Calling the sinner to come home. Listen to to Almighty God who has every right to take the, the, the huge rock of His Son and crush this planet into smithereens. Yet He, in His grace, says, Now, therefore... Now, therefore, O kings, be wise, be warned, O rulers of the earth, serve the Lord with fear and rejoice with trembling. Kiss the Son, lest He be angry and you perish in the way, for His wrath is quickly kindled. Blessed are all who take refuge in Him. So, so where are you this morning? You can, you can be filled with rage. And the only other option, you can be filled with rage and try to manipulate everything around you, try to control everything around you. Or you can run to Jesus Christ and Jesus Christ alone, who is our refuge. What are you going to do? The first thing we see, um, and, and just, just answer a few questions of the text. What, what, what is rage? Rage is violent uncontrollable anger. When you think of rage, think of a violent storm. Think of a, 
Maybe you've been in a hurricane. I have. Maybe you've been at the ocean when there is a hurricane coming in off the shore. Maybe you've seen waters that meet together and you see the turbulence and you see the white foam being thrown up. Maybe you've stepped in the water at the beach and felt pulled out by it like you had no control. And, and rage is like that. Rage is this uncontrollable anger like a, a storm or raging waves that, that can toss the largest of, of crafts that are made by human, being, human beings over. We, we, rage is of such a nature that when we are filled with rage, the only thing that we can focus on is the source of our anger. And so, so rage is, is violent, uncontrolled anger. The second thing is, is, the second question is this, why is everyone filled with rage? Why is everyone filled with rage? And uh, is, that, is that even debatable? Is that even debatable? Can, can you turn on your TV to try to watch a sports event and everybody's filled with rage? Can you turn on your TV and try to watch the news and see everybody is filled with rage? Can you click on your phone and look at the news feed and not see that everybody is filled with rage? How many people were killed in Atlanta this weekend? How many people were killed in Chicago this weekend? How many people were killed in New York this weekend? All of the violence, all of the rage, and the news outlets are not even uh, uh, reporting all of it. There is just rage everywhere. And then you, you look at the people, you look at the nations, you look at the kings, you look at the rulers, you look at these important people everywhere you turn, from politicians to, um, to philosophers to educators, the medical profession, everybody is angry. Why is everyone filled with rage? But then we've got to answer this question. Why am I filled with rage? Why are you filled with rage? Rage is universal and it's personal. Would you stop just a minute? Would you call time out just a minute? And would you ask yourself, why are you filled with rage? Can we just can we just think about that for a minute? I mean, think about think about us being bitter. Is anybody here bitter today? Why are you bitter? Is anybody here angry today? Is anybody here critical today? Has anybody got a critical spirit? Does anybody gossip? Does anybody find fault with everybody else? Is anybody divisive? Does anybody here have somebody that you know that you don't like, that you don't want anything to do with, that you want to avoid? Why are we so filled with rage? Why are we so prone to relational violence? Think about it. Why are we so prone to relational violence? Why are we always blowing up? <laughs> right? My family of origin, it was you told somebody off. You know, you got your eyes got to get big when you tell somebody off. Tell you what I did, tag on it, I told them off. I told them off. Got them told. What is that? Why are we so, so prone to and even proud of our acts of rage and relational violence. We love to express displeasure. We love to express disappointment. If it's not coming out in the content of our words, it's coming out on the countenance of our faith, face, in the tone of our voice, in our emotion. Why is marriage so difficult? 
Why is parenting so difficult? Why is work so difficult? Why is the culture so difficult? Why does everybody want to move to a large plot of land so that they don't have to be in contact with anybody else? Because our hearts and our lives are filled with and experiencing rage. And, and the text tells us um, how we respond to rage. So the leaders of the world are filled with rage. We are filled with rage. How do we respond to rage? And here's what the text tells us. First of all, rage is common. He, he lists everybody. Rage is common to humanity. Secondly, rage is consuming. The leaders of the earth, the people of the earth, are plotting together. They're organizing themselves around the energy of their rage. And the scriptures tell us, listen to this, why do the nations rage and the people's plot in vain? You know what the word plot means? The word plot literally is the same word in Psalm chapter 1 and verse number 2, and it's the word meditate. The word meditate means to roll something over in your mind over and over again. In his law does he meditate day and night. But the antithesis to meditating on the law, to saying that the law is good, to saying that God is good, to saying that God loves me and cares for me and he is a refuge and I am safe in him and I am safe in walking according to his law and his word and being in relationship and fellowship with him. In his law doth he meditate day and night. Now those that are filled with rage are meditating. They're plotting, they're conspiring. Rage will drive us not to meditate on God and His Word, but rage will conspire us or will drive us to conspire against God and His Word. At the bottom line of what's happening in our culture is that very thing. Rage is conspiring. And he says, why? Why are you attempting this vain, useless struggle? Why are you opposing God, why are you consumed with? Why are you dominated by? Why are you obsessed with God's uh, authority? Obsessed with God's restraint and obsessed with God's restrictions and obsessed with God's sovereignty and obsessed with God's control. That's what he's saying in the text. The kings of the earth have set themselves. They've established themselves. They said, we're, we're going to be God. They take counsel together. They're conspiring. They're organizing together. And it's against the Lord and against His anointed. Let that inform us of this source of our rage. It's not the person that sits beside you. It's not the circumstances that are happening around you. It's this rebellion against God inside of us and it is this rebellion against God inside of us because we're looking out to the world and believing the lies and trying to find satisfaction in something out there that is that is that that cannot satisfy us and the desires and, and the longing that we feel in our heart can only be satisfied by Christ but when we go and look to try to satisfy it in some other way we we experience frustration we have the law in our heart saying that's wrong we experience shame and rather than taking that shame to the cross that shame breeds this contempt in our soul and that contempt then expresses itself in this rage that is constantly overflowing because we're not running to Christ to bring satisfaction and joy to our heart. But quite frankly, we're living lives that say, I'm going to cast his bonds asunder. I don't need to listen to the word of God. I'm going to figure life out on my own. God, if you would just leave me alone, I'll figure it out. 
That's, that's what they're saying. They're acknowledging that there is a God. They're organizing themselves around this God in cooperation. They're conspiring against this God. They're raging against this God. They're positioning themselves against this God. They're cooperating together against God to overtake God, to outvote God, to dethrone God. They would prefer to say that God is dead. They would prefer to say that God is not the creator. They would prefer to say that we were not created in his image. They would prefer to say we have disproven God, we disapprove of God, and we have dethroned God. And if we all have to organize ourselves together as the nations of the world, we will get rid of God. Notice what he says. Let us burst their bonds apart, cast away their cords from us. The Lord and his anointed somehow cause those who aren't his to think that, listen, the Lord and his anointed cause those who aren't his to think if they were his that they would end up being slaves. That it would be drudgery. God wants to control me and I want to be me. I want to do what I want to do. I want to, I want to be who I want to be. I want to love who I want to love. Don't put any restraints on me. If, if, if I was born biologically a certain way, but all of a sudden I wake up in the morning and I decide I want to call myself something completely different in the way the Creator made me, I will do it. Don't you dare tell me I can't be who I want to be and do what I want to do and live the way I want to live and think the way I want to think. And all of a sudden somebody walks in with some Bible telling us about some man named Jesus who loves them. And we're like, get that away from me. I don't want that. I will find my own way. It's interesting that the psalmist tells us in Psalm 1 that there is a man who meditates in the Word and finds that as a source of happiness and joy, but then there is another who has the Word speaking in his heart. And rather than it being a source of joy, they're meditating on ways to get this out of their life. And their desire to remove God from their life now results in the rage that we see ruminating all around us and within us. And so they're cooperating together and it results in this, this terrible conflict. Remove any sliver of control or restraint. Let me live the way I want to live. We can make life work apart from God. I can get what I want for my life to make me happy apart from God. And the text is telling us this is vain. This is empty. This is pointless. This is impossible. It is impossible for man to find joy, to find happiness, to find meaning apart from God. Now, the question that you need to answer this morning is, do you really believe that? Because if you don't believe that and you're not looking to Him for your happiness and your joy and your fulfillment and you're not going to Him to find that, then the the result of that is going to be rage. If you're trying to find something else to put in the place of God instead of letting God through His Son, Jesus Christ, be in the place that He belongs in your heart and in your life and in my heart and in my life, the byproduct is going to be rage. Therefore, it, maybe we ought to ask this question, what is going on inside of me when I feel rage? Because our 
knee-jerk go-to is, if I could just change something around me, I'll be okay. If I can just get away from this woman, I'll be okay. If I just had a better job, I'd be okay. If my kids would behave better, I'd be okay. If I had more money, I'd be okay. So what are you doing with the rage that's going on inside of you? So the nations are raging, but secondly, we see, and I want to say this before I move on. Joy is, is not found, and here's, here's where the prosperity gospel just really jacks up the, gospel, the, the true gospel. Folks, don't, don't, don't listen to the prosperity gospel. Just don't do it. Here, because I'm fixing to make a statement that's antithetical to the prosperity gospel. Joy is not found in God giving us what we want, but, but in us wanting what he gives. Joy is not found in God giving us what we want, but in us wanting what he gives. If he were to give us everything that we wanted, we would destroy ourselves. But he has given us himself. <laughs> and until we see that as valuable, we're taking the desires that he's given us and we're investing them in so many other things and we're coming up empty and it's filling us with rage. Joy is not found. You, you say, well, why would you even bring up joy? Blessed is the man that walks not in the counsel of the ungodly. Blessed are those who find refuge in him. Where is your happiness? Where is your joy? And it's not going to be found in asking God to do something in your circumstances. Maybe to make sickness go away. Maybe to, maybe to make, uh, give you a better job. Maybe to give you more stuff. Maybe for your house to sell at some exorbitant price and then you find another house that's better than that one for a lot less money. And we're like, praise God. Ain't God good. Parking space right up by the front door. The favor of God. Ain't God good. Joy is not found in God giving us what we want, but in us wanting what he gives and we see that contrasted in psalm 1 and 2 there is one who wants what god is giving and then there are those who want god to give them what they want and he won't do it and so they're angry the second thing we see is the father's response look at verse 4 he who sits in the heavens laughs the lord holds them in derision the first thing we see in the text is the silence of god God's sitting in heaven. He's not laughing. He's not cupping his hands and... <laughs> and everybody's like, what is that laughter? No, God's sitting in heaven and inside. And this is an anthropomorphism. This is, this is a, a human characteristics that's being, that's being put on a holy spiritual God so that we can understand exactly what God is doing. And quite frankly, God is seated. God is not moved. God is not stirred. God is not like, what in the world is going on? I created the world and everybody's going crazy. What am I going to do now? God is not panicking at all. God's just sitting in the heavens. And I, I don't know that he's amused, but the only time in Scripture that we see God laughing. He's seated. He's secure. It probably feels like he's uninvolved. It probably feels, feels like he doesn't know what's going on. We're like, well, how, how long is this going to go on? How, how long are we going to have to suffer and endure through this, God? When are you going to do something? God, don't you care? He's, he's in heaven. He's above all things. He's over all of the chaos and the rage. God is enormous, but he seems absent. Is he dead? Is he tired? Is he uninvolved? Is he inattentive? Is he bored? What is God doing? God allows sinners to strut and to scheme 
and to talk and to shout and to congregate and to write and to march and to revolt and to have summits and to write decrees and make demands and even vote him out. The Supreme Court of the United States can vote God out. You can't mention God at a commencement address. On and on we could go. What is God going to do about it? Away with you, God. Away from us, God. Away with your laws and your restrictions and let the rage continue and let the religion fade and let the denomination slither away into liberalism. And where is God? And he's there. He's unsurprised. He's unpanicked. He's just watching. It's like, I can't believe it. I just can't. Wow. So God is silent. He's still God. He's still in control even when he's silent. Is it okay for God who knows all things and has all power to be silent in a circumstance in our life? I can't tell you how many times I've been disappointed with God. Has anybody else ever been disappointed with God? Me, me and Ray. That's because we, we, you know, Richard. So I, I'll be honest with you. There have been times that I really needed an answer to prayer and I didn't get one. Right? There have been times I really wanted God to do something. There have been times I really wanted God to save somebody. I remember when I got saved as a young 16-year-old, I went and knocked on the door of my uncle's apartment, and I went in and I talked to him, and I shared the gospel with him, and he didn't want to hear it. And not too long after that, he found himself on the wrong end of a 12-gauge shotgun, and his life was gone. God, what are you doing? Not only did I pray for his salvation, not only did I go share the gospel with him, why didn't you do something, God? God seems silent. God seems silent sometimes, but he's, he's, he's never absent, and he's never not working, and he's never not accomplishing his will. We see, secondly, under this section of God responding, God responds in silence, but secondly, God responds in deliverance. Then, then after a time, we've got silence, but then... After a time of silence, God now is speaking. Then he will speak to them in his wrath and terrify them in his fury, saying, and we could focus on his wrath, and certainly there is wrath, and certainly there is fury, and we could focus on that, and you've got to understand that. We cannot understand and grasp and fathom the gospel of Jesus Christ apart from understanding his wrath. When you think of wrath, you think of somebody that is so angry and so furious that when they breathe, their nostrils are going in and out. That's, that's serious. That's fury. That's wrath. God is so holy and God's hatred of sin is so pure and so powerful and sin is so destructive and so antithetical to who he is and to his nature and to his purposes that, that certainly that, that, that causes wrath and, and fury to rise up in him. And so what God the Father does in his wrath and in his fury as he sends his son, he sends his son. As for me, I have set my king. These folks have set themselves on earth, but God the Father says, well, well, wait a minute, I'm above everything, and I've set my king in this very specific place for this very specific purpose. 
This is the ruler. This is the response of God. Then I will tell the decree. This is what I've written. This is what I've planned from eternity past. The Lord said to me, you are my son. Today I have begotten you. What is he telling us about? He's telling us about Christ coming into the world to robe himself in flesh and to live a life of perfect righteousness. And Jesus Christ coming and bearing the full fury of the wrath of God. This wrath that we see in this text was poured out on God's own Son. Our sin debt was paid for in His Son. You say, can you prove that? Go to Acts chapter 4. This is, this is amazing. Acts chapter 4. Verse 23, there were some, some believers were incarcerated. They were set free. Verse 23, and when they were released, they went to their friends and reported that the chief priest and the elders had said to them what they had said to them. And when they had heard it, they lifted their voices together to God and said, Sovereign Lord, who made the heaven and the earth and the sea and everything in them, who through the mouth of your father David, your servant, said by the Holy Spirit, Why did the Gentiles rage and the people's plot in vain? And the kings of the earth set themselves and the rulers were gathered together against the Lord and against his anointed. We just read this. For truly in this city there were gathered together against your holy servant Jesus, whom you anointed, both Herod and Pontius Pilate, along with the Gentiles and the peoples of Israel, to do whatever your hand and your plan had predestined to take place. And now, Lord, look upon their threats and grant your servants to continue to speak your word with all boldness. He's saying, look, the, the very thing that he's talking about in Psalm 2 about his anointed and about the nations raging was the rage that they meted out on Jesus Christ when he was here in killing him. But he also says in the text, it's very clear, you are my son. And if you'll go to Acts chapter 13, you'll see again the same reference to Psalm 2. Acts 13, verse 33. Easy to remember, Acts 13, 33, 1 and 3 threes. But, but the thing that I want you to see in Acts 13, 33, and I'll begin reading in verse, verse number 26 Brothers and sons of the family of Abraham and those among you who fear God, to us has been sent the message of this salvation to those who live in Jerusalem and their rulers because they did not recognize him nor understand the utterances of the prophets which are read every Sabbath, fulfilled them by condemning him. And though they found in him no guilt worthy of death, they asked Pilate to, to have him executed. And when they had carried out all that was written of him, they took him down from the tree and laid him in the tomb. But God raised him from the dead, and for many days he appeared to those who had come up with him from Galilee to Jerusalem, who were now his witnesses to the people. And we bring you the good news that what God promised to the fathers, this he has fulfilled to us, their children, by raising Jesus as also it is written in the second psalm. You are my son today... I have begotten you. As for the fact that he raised him from the dead, no more to return to corruption, he has spoken. I give you the Holy One and sure blessing 
of David. And so, so what are we seeing here? We're seeing here when he sends his son that he's talking about the wrath of God that's going to be poured out, but he sends his son to bear the full fury of the wrath of God to raise victorious over that. But now notice what he's doing in the text. He says, today I've begotten you. He says, ask of me and I will make the nations your heritage and the ends of the earth your possession. What's going on here? We're, we're, go, go ye into all the world. The God the Father is saying, I'm giving you the nations to rule over them. Jesus Christ, the Son of God, is saying to those who come to him by faith, those who he bore the full fury of God's wrath for, he's saying, go ye into all the world among those that are raging against me, among those that hate me, among those that are enemies of mine, among those that are shaking a fist in my face, among those who want to break the restraints and the bonds. You see, what we want to do is we want to say, hey guys, let's all move to Montana. And let the world go to hell. Don't we? Maybe you don't. He's saying, I've given, I've given the nation to you as a heritage. I have the Father has given the Son the nations. And the nations have been given the gift of the Son. And we are the conduit for that. We are those who would be transformed inside so that we can now live our lives by going into these people that are raging, into their lives, and offer them the hope that is found in Christ and Christ alone. So go look at the news and be angry. Go be frustrated by every other commercial that comes on that's cramming some worldview down your throat that is diametrically opposed not only to your worldview but Scripture and say, you know, I'm just going to separate from all of that or say, wait just a minute. I have been sent back into the nations as an ambassador of Jesus Christ to tell those who hate Him that He loves them. So we see this silence, but we also see this deliverance. Thirdly, we see verse 9 as we look at the response of the son. We see um, his violence. Look at it, verse 9. You shall break them with a rod of iron and dash them in pieces like a potter's vessel. Here's, one, here's what I want to tell you. The word break can be looked at in two different ways. It can be looked at as being crushed in a disciplinary action or being led and shaped in a disciplinary action. There, there, is, there are two types of discipline that we see in Scripture. We see parental discipline, which is to shape that child and point that child. It's like a shepherd walking with sheep. But then there is judge, the, the judicial discipline, which says you have done wrong and there is going to be a payment that is equal to the wrong that you have done. Parental discipline says, I want to shape you. And so he's saying, he, he's saying look, you shall break them with a rod of iron or you shall shepherd them with uh, a, a shepherd's staff. The question is, are you in a relationship with the Son? If you're in a relationship with the Son, He is your shepherd. You shall not want. He makes you lie down. He's leading you in paths of righteousness for His namesake. There's a completely different kind of relationship than those who are raging toward the Son and those who are resting in the Son. But listen to me. An indicator of our rage toward the Son is going to be is, is going to be manifested by a life that is constantly filled with rage and anger. 
and if we're finding rest and refuge in the Son, that is going to manifest itself in a completely different way in how we relate to one another and how we relate to the world. So we see this violence. If you're not in Christ, you will be crushed. If you are in Christ, He was crushed for you. He was wounded for our transgressions. He bore our sin. He was crushed for our iniquities. If you're in Christ, He was crushed for you. If you're not in Christ, you will be crushed for your sin. The final thing I want you to see is the refuge is open. Notice this this grace, this pleading. I, I just see... I hear the Father pleading with me in my rage. I hear the Father pleading with me when I want to choose sin over Him. We don't always hear that. Can you hear that this morning? When you think a thought and it starts to lead to an action... And you know that action is going to be literally rebellion against God. What do you hear? Oh, I'll tell you what I hear. I hear anger. I hear, well, you remember that time you didn't answer that prayer for me? (laughs) You, you, You remember that 2021? I just passed by one this morning. Some dude that wasn't even coming to church. It's a beautiful, brand new black pickup. Why has he got a brand new black pickup and I don't? I'm trying to serve you. Amen. So, so what good is my life doing me? I'm going to be angry at God. He's not giving me what I want. He's not performing like I think he should perform. And the Savior is pleading with us in our rage, in our anger, in our foolishness in our desire to sin, in our desire to find joy and satisfaction in something besides Him. He says, now therefore, O kings, be wise. He's going to to Putin and saying, be be wise. He's going to, I can't say the Chinese guy's name. I, I probably shouldn't say Chinese. The head guy in China. He's going to him. He's going to the Iranian officials. Now, therefore, O kings, be wise, be warned, O rulers of the earth, be instructed, he's saying. Can you learn something? Can you hear something? Serve the Lord with fear. Rejoice with trembling. Kiss the sun. Kiss the sun. What does kiss the sun mean? Kiss the sun would be like going and, and kissing the hand of the the king, right? That, that's kind of repulsive to us. We don't understand monarchies. We don't understand rulers. We are a democracy. Everybody is equal, and some people are chosen to lead. But there is a king who is over all things. There is a king who is over all nations, and he rules. And whether you accept his rule or not, that will not stop his rule. And so, and so the, the, the father pleads with us in our anger and our rage He says, come to the Son, because when you come to the Son, you are finding one that is worthy of your worship. If you're not worshiping Jesus Christ, you're worshiping something else. 
If you are not paying homage to Jesus Christ, you are paying homage to something else. You are. If you are not kissing the hand of Jesus Christ, you are kissing something else's hand. You are worshiping something else. But what he's saying is, would you, would you look at the hand of Jesus and would you see that the hand you are kissing is the hand of the Son of God who had his hand pierced with nails? Would you see that this is the hand that is being outstretched to you and it is the hand of one who loves you dearly? It is the hand of one who welcomes you into his presence. It is the hand of one who wants to be with you. The, the, the kissing the hand of the son. And, and I looked up the Hebrew word for kiss, and it used to mean smell. You're like, well, what does that mean? That's, that's kind of gross. Not so bad for me. I haven't got my smell back from COVID yet. But imagine something that is aromatic. I, I don't want to be too detailed, but I, sometimes I'll just get close to my wife and you know, it's just, it's like, I just, it's so pleasant and joyful and I'm just in love with her and I love being close to her. And he's saying, come close to the sun. Come close to the sun. The sun wants to be close to you. Draw near to the sun. Worship the Son. Be in an intimate relationship with the Son. He's pleading with the nations. He's saying the one that you hate, the one that is that all this rage that you're directing all of this rage toward is loves you like you've never been loved. Would you would you come and kiss the Son? And when you come and you're in closeness to the Son. His wrath is quickly, quickly goes away. But in, in this text, he's saying his wrath is quickly kindled. It catches on fire. But notice what he says finally, and I'll close with this. Blessed are all who take refuge in him. And I want to tell you this morning that the refuge, that the refuge is open. Listen, there is no refuge from him. If you are apart from Christ, there is no refuge for you. There is no refuge from him. There is only refuge in him. The refuge is open. The nations are raging. We are filled with rage. The Father is responding. And the refuge is open. There is no safe place in time or eternity but in Christ alone. Joy is not found in giving us what we want, but in us wanting what he gives. And if you will go to the Son, and if you will find your refuge in him, you will find that what he gives is what you truly, ultimately want to begin with. What does he give? He gives relief, he gives rest, he gives relationship, he gives Refuge, but it is only found if you dive into the deep end and give up all of the vestiges of hope in this world and in your schemes and in your manipulation and in your hope for control. Rage will not get you where you think it will take you. 
Human glory will not get you there. Joining with other fools and affirming yourself as you hate God and His Word won't get you there. Getting the affirmation of the cultural majority, identifying with the right cultural group won't get you there. It's found in this one place and in this one person. And to have Him, it will cost you everything. To have Him, it will cost you everything. And He is worth it. Come to the refuge this morning. You who are weary, come home. Earnestly, tenderly, Jesus is calling. Calling those sinners. Come home. I would ask you this morning to repent. I would ask you to repent of your rage. I would ask you to repent of those things that you're filling your life with in His place that you think will satisfy you. I would ask you to realize this morning that real, real world problems have only one real solution, and that is the gospel of Jesus Christ. Look no further than Christ to find a resolution and solution to all that's going on in your heart and in this world. The answer is Jesus Christ. I would challenge you to listen to the rage, and if you're in the refuge, go out into the rage. And be Christ to a world that thinks it has the answers. But it doesn't. The nations are raging. The Father is responding. The refuge is open.